Welcome to That Moto Show. Dirt Bike TV's Jay Clark and producer Donnie Bales. That Moto Show. Welcome to our podcast. We've been talking about doing this for a long time, uh, Spencer and I and Donnie, and finally we are doing it. Uh, Spencer and I did something like this in the past where people would ask us questions and I'd answer them on our Instagram, Instagram Live. We've done different things like that, but this is going to be a legit podcast and on video, so however you want to call that. We'll have both versions up, and we're going to try and do it once or twice a month, depending upon how much demand there is for it, right? So we're, we're going to get something going. We get a lot of questions emailed to us, and a lot of the questions, I think, will relate to a lot of different people. And so we try to answer these questions right away for the person, and then we're going to bring those questions back so that if you have the same kind of question, it hopefully it'll help you out is what we're hoping. Now, this kind of podcast isn't going to be... We're not going over a lot of race stuff or new bike tests, those types of things. There's plenty of good things actually that I listen to that are out there. Um, you got podcasts out there and some great people doing those kind of podcasts that are race fans that are really getting in depth with races and who finishes where and so forth. And then new, new bike tests and what to modify. There's some really good people doing that kind of stuff out there. And uh, I'm sure I'll be mentioning some of those as we go through things. Those are good references for you. But we're going to be kind of a tech-focused podcast, just like a lot of my information is on our Dirt Bike TV Instagram and our YouTube. So if you're not familiar with those, subscribe to those. If you're not familiar with them, I doubt you're watching this, right, so, or listening to this. So we're going to try to keep things focused since we know it's on video and people are listening on podcasts. So that I'll try to describe things so that you, if you are driving, you can kind of picture what we're talking about. Hopefully that'll help you out. I listen to a lot of podcasts more so when I'm driving than uh, just around the house. I'm usually too busy when I'm in the shop or, or in, in regular life, so to speak. Okay, so for this intro show, it's going to be a little bit shorter, I think, than what we're going to plan on doing. We're going to, we're going to, our, our format's going to be pretty simple. We're just going to read these questions, try to answer them, give you a little bit of product spotlights each week. We'll probably have a couple products to talk about, and then hopefully answer your questions. My buddy Donnie Bales uh, is really well experienced in video and in this podcast type of thing. He's done some before, and he's going to be helping us out. He'll be reading some of our questions as we as we go. So for our product spotlights today, we're going to be talking about a Tusk Lithium Charger, which is really important, and a Wysco Pistons. We'll be talking about them. I started with Wysco uh, Pistons in 1993. That's a long time ago. Been a few bumps in the road, but I'm back there for a couple few years, and it's been awesome. So right now, we're going to get right into the questions, and we're going to turn it over to Donnie to see what we got going to start us off. All right. Well, uh, hey, excited for this first show, by the <laughs> yes. way. This is going to be really cool. Um, so the first question is from Lindro T. I think he might be from out of the country because it seems like... I do, I do get a lot of those. So it's yeah. one of the things when I get questions, sometimes they can be hard to understand because there's some broken English in there. They use a translate. And so that, that creates some problems. Yeah, no shame on these guys. It's, <laughs> it's nice that they're asking questions. But Lindro has a WR250 and he wants to know when the bike starts losing power. How do you know when the piston's about to break is his question. Yeah. So he wants the magic, the magic eight ball, so to speak speak of when to change out your piston on your dirt bike and, and I'm assuming it's a WR he didn't say F so we're gonna say WR two strokes what we're assuming and on a two stroke there's really not a great way you can do compression checks but compression will stay pretty dang good on most two strokes as long as you don't suck dirt or anything like that so a compression check is only gonna tell you if your compression's down you know and most say 250s are in this you know you know 180 range or whatever it be and then it could drop if it drops way down you know into 150s you know hey there's a problem but typically, you're just going to go by hours. And that's why you want to put an hour meter on your bike if it doesn't have one stock. Works Connection has some great hour meters. Uh, there's a few other companies that we work with that do as well. You want to get an hour meter on your bike so you can track hours. You always, 
people assume or, or guess at what their hours are, it's way longer than you think. So for most guys on like a YZ250, like that WR, I would say 50 hours uh, to would be a place I'd start looking at changing a piston. So hopefully that helps you out. Does that kind of make sense, Donnie? Yeah, it makes sense. Haven't you ever noticed how your bike runs really, really well right before it blows up? Right. That's yeah. always the case. So you, you don't want to go that long. No. So that, so it, it is more of a time thing. There's no magic way to be able to feel the cylinder to guess. It's there, there, especially with the stock pistons being cast. It's a time thing. They work really well until they just break. All right. The next question is from Greg B. He wants to know how are the numbers on a main and pilot, pilot jet are determined. Oh, so so that, I remember that question. And so he wanted, uh, you know, you go from a 45 to a 46 pilot. Well, Kian and McCooney, they all do their jets in just some odd sizing. And the Kians will go 45, 48, 50, 52, 55. They'll jump in these increments of threes and twos. And so you can't get in between. He wanted a size in between some of those. And you can't really do that. So you're just stuck with what is available uh, in, those, in those sizes. And, and you can usually jet pretty. If You're not going to need to get any finer than that. Between that and then you mess with your air screw, you can get it jetted usually just with that. I have a really simple fix for that. Just run a TPI bike. Right. So, so, so fuel injection has solved this problem for Donnie, as he says. No more, yeah, yeah. No more carburetors. Or I just go to you and you, you jet it for me, <laughs> so I don't have to worry about that. Um, Jake Schneider wants to know tips on buying used TPI bikes, funny enough. So my first thought is on a TPI bike is probably to shy away. So the TPI bikes it did have a lot of little weird, quirky problems. First of all, the, the first ones around 2020 when they came out, they didn't run really well. The mapping was all off and they're just kind of quirky. So, and they had crankcase sensor problems. And I'm sure anybody familiar with these uh, off-road bikes has known this from the last four years or so, we've been with these TPI bikes all over the place. And there's been some big problems and some small problems just lingering. And then I have some guys who put 150 hours on these things and no problems. So my first thing is, unless it's really cheap, I would look towards a carbureted 17 and 19, 300 or 250 or 300 XC, XCW, or go to the newer TBI, depending upon what you can afford. So that's kind of what I would lean towards. And don't those carburetor bikes kind of have a little better low end? Than the yes, TBI for sure. Are? Now, and I, as I say this, I back up because they, unfortunately they, they put a Makuni on those 17s and everybody pulls those off and puts on a Kian from JD Jetting or Electron, either one. Hmm. All right. Uh, Christian B wants to know why we run more oil than is called for in our bikes. So typically they, you know, they bikes make better power with less oil. Okay. And so for me, I'm not racing at optimal conditions. I'm all for, especially if I have a larger, uh, like our recluse covers are a little bit bigger. Uh, anytime like that, we, we'd like to run 50 or hundred, um, milliliters more than what they recommend. And the reason for that is we get more added cooling. So the more oil, the better the clutch is going to last, all those types of things. You'll usually just pump out any excess right out the overflow. Uh, but most of these bikes can take uh, usually a good 100 cc's, 100 milliliters more than the stock recommends. And what and on the KTM models, we'll run up to 1250 if we dump everything. You know, we show shown oil changes where we take out the, the one by the crank case that ktm tells you not to drain well we drain that one and drain that one and the screen and the filter and you can put in 1250 into those things so that's a good amount of oil and everything's going to last a lot longer with a little bit more oil that's a good one hey uh shelby is a little more personal question it's kind of uh, a little bit uh different but he wants to know how you get back on the horse after you've uh, been hurt and he he got 
pretty hurt. And he, what, what did he say? He was, his wife was concerned? Yeah, I, he cracked I, some ribs, and he's kind of a little hesitant riding, and his wife's probably giving him the, should you be quit riding by now? I, I kind of remember this one, and I and I feel like I've gone through quite a few injuries. I, I, I've done it all throughout. The worst part was when, I, when my kids were little, and you'd wake up from a surgery, and your kids are coming in, and they're, you know, oh, daddy's going to be okay. Yeah, daddy's fine. But uh, you kind of feel, you can feel like you're uh, being silly by riding dirt bikes and getting hurt when you're raising a family. Now, look, my kids are all gone, so it's not as big a deal, so I do enjoy it. And, and this guy's like, he's concerned he wants to be there for his wife. Admirable deal, but I'm guessing she knew what, he was when she married him, right? That he liked he liked motorcycles, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me, that that passion's pretty strong. And as I get older, and I know that I'm only going to get slower and less skilled as I get older, right? And I wouldn't say less skilled, but less able to handle situations as they as they happen. So I'm probably going to be shifting my riding to different types of riding that I feel more comfortable with. Slower for sure. S- slower for sure. And for one of the things that I, what's funny is I feel more comfortable on a track than I do on some gnarly trail rides we go on. So a lot of gnarly trail rides, especially when they're five to seven hours long and we're in rocky mountain conditions, I'm more apt to get hurt and fall in those conditions than I am on a track. People think a track is way tougher, but a track that's set up safe, I go out there, I do a, a long 40 minute moto, come and rest, go do a 15 minute moto and go home. It's funny, on a track, I always tell people that seem to think it's so dangerous. I'm like, we're all going the same direction. Yeah. There's, there's no loose, uh, you know, bowling ball size rocks going to just roll no. out of nowhere. No tree that I didn't catch. And, and I, I, so anyway, we can all, and a lot of people argue with us that tracks are more dangerous, but I will agree that supercross style tracks are for sure more dangerous and more difficult to get skilled at. But I'm referring to like a track like a, a, a Glen Helen. They have a good uh, Aurora track, a vet track, and so does Kuia. These types of tracks that are more of a natural terrain track with not as many jumps um, can be pretty fun and safe, relatively safe. When we're doing what we're doing, we know it's not that safe. So I'd say, I'd say hey, just get back on there. And that passion you have, nothing duplicates that. And we all know that. I always joke around when I get to Glen Helen, I do one lap. I feel like the whole day is made. You know, it's just incredible feeling getting that one lap up the track. I post those laps a lot on Instagram. Guys like to see that I'm still having fun in my old age. The nice thing too is like you can go have fun in what I call a modified format, right? We go for an hour, you ride, and you can go home. Where trail ride takes all day long. Yeah, And, and, and in most cases for us, we want to go to someplace cool looking. And they, they can be 10, you know, the closest place we go is six hours away, right? And then we yeah. go 10, 16 hours away. So these, because that's the problem with trail riding is you want to get to something place new and something cooler. And and that's why we go to these these remote places like in Idaho and, and Montana and stuff. Yeah. All right. Uh, John wants, he did the air filter cage modification. He's on an FE350 and he says it chokes up at full throttle. Okay, so that FE350 is the same as an EXC. Okay, those types of bikes. So the first thing I tell guys is if you're going to modify a FE or an XC or an XCFW, any of those things that are really corked up, I wouldn't do any mods, period, until you have your ECU figured out that you're going to be running a different ECU to fix all the mapping problems that are going to happen. If you throw on just, if you do this air filter mod, you do a... uh, um, a muffler, a slip-on muffler. The thing's going to pop and run worse than it does stock. Uh, we just rode the 24 500 EXC, 
and I'm amazed at how good it is stock. It's so good. The bike just lugs around. It's incredible to ride stock. Now, so if you mess with anything, you're going to make it run worse. So I would not mess with anything unless you're committed to getting an ECU. Like we run the ones from Jamie at Twisted. Those ECUs will run cleaner and so forth, but you're also limited to you know, your legality of your state and all that and what you're doing. So you want to look at that and hopefully that helps out on that aspect. All right, good. Um, AG Squires has a 06 CRF 450 and he says his, his uh, brakes are spongy. I don't know if he's saying the front brake, but he's yeah, trying yeah. to get better. I'm sure it's a front brake, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I would say so too. He's trying to get better brake performance and uh, what do you got on that? I think he rode his buddy's bike, right? Yeah, a W. he rode a WR 450 uh, 23 and, you know, the Yamaha's good brakes on that bike anyway and it's a 23 so we're talking about bikes that are like 18 years apart or whatever right something yeah. like that so that's the first problem so with we i get a lot of brake questions and one of the biggest things with brakes is people don't flush their fluid out enough and on, on any bike you should probably be flushing them at least once a year even if you're not riding it that often the fluid's going old and it's going to help deteriorate everything in the system so you want to flush your system at least once a year we have lots of good brake bleeding videos on our youtube uh, that will help you uh, be able to do that and so you want want to flush that out put new fluid in and you'll be good to go uh, constantly now you have to bleed it well and not have any issues now with this honda in particular um being that old you could probably benefit from checking the pads and i would i like to run the stock pads or the pro x pads or like uh, that japanese quality material i like those are really good i would run those and look into a brake line. Galfer has steel braided lines, uh, Tusk does as well. So you could look at a brake line as an upgrade to make it as strong as that new bike. Uh, typically, you don't have to usually rebuild the systems on those, uh, typically. It's usually gonna be flushing, bleeding, and brake line can help. Also on that bike, Tusk has an oversized front rotor if you really want more bite, and it's really not that expensive, like 129 bucks or so for the caliper, and that really does help a lot as well. Yeah, it's always nice uh, doing that. But a lot of guys don't realize just, like you said at the beginning, just really getting that old fluid out and getting new fluid in. It's critical. Yeah. It's critical. All right. Uh, a duel has a new XCF uh, 350, and he's done a bunch of stuff to it, uh, exhaust and clutch and all this. And he wants to know about what the right ECU would be to, for that bike. Again, that, that's... Uh, uh, Jamie at Twisted maps ECUs really well, and he can do the stock one or the Vortex. The Vortex has more parameters where you can change the ignition, and that's what we run in ours, and it's it's just amazing. The things run so clean, very unlikely to stall out or have any problems. Uh, so that that's where we that's where we go, and we send people, and everyone we've sent there has been totally happy. It is a good amount of money, but with these new bikes at that high level, if you can afford to buy a brand new XCF and do all these mods. That's the one you want to do next is that I would say probably that ECU is probably the first one because then you, when you add on that muffler and everything else, it all works well together. It's unbelievable how much time Jamie spends on the dyno, dyno like tuning those those uh, ECUs too. It's crazy. Yeah, I'm taking him a bike today. I'm taking him a, uh, a 500 uh, KTM. We're taking him that and we're going to have him. He's going to be dynoing that thing and he's, he's so good at doing these things and it's all well proven. And I firsthand can say I've seen him on the dyno doing these things over and over my bikes, other people's bikes. And it doesn't just, you don't just guess at those. Like you, the only way to do it is on the dyno and he's getting the air fuel ratio. For those that don't know, he's actually measuring what the air fuel ratio is coming out of the exhaust. He has a bung in the exhaust and he can measure what it is. And with that, he, he can then map it accordingly with fuel uh, and air at those specific parameters and then also uh, change the ignition to give it more grunt in certain spots. 
Okay, so that's that's a taste of the kind of questions we're looking at. I think that's enough for today, our initial one. I think we even went longer than I was planning. Uh, but that gives you a taste of the kind of the questions that uh, we're, we are answering for people. And again, feel free to send those questions in. We'll get them on, on the list for our next shows. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about the Wysco piston. This is a Wysco two-stroke piston, which Wysco first got known for. This is for a KTM 300 TPI bike. But also I found out recently that it's the same piston for the TBI, the new generation 2324 300XC, same piston, really high quality forged piston. That's what all race teams use. The next product is a Tusk lithium charger. So for those that can't see this, it's just a really small lithium charger. And these are, um, uh, and it has an LCD screen, but these chargers are critical. When LCDs first came out like in 15, 16, 17, when people are getting these lithium batteries, and especially in these new KTMs, we, there was a few instances, even on a pro team, that charged it with a regular charger overnight, the thing, and it burned down the trailer. So there's been lots of cases where people have blown up batteries because they're using a regular charger on it. So you don't want to do that. You want to use a specific lithium charger. Tusk has one. So hopefully that, that'll help you out when you go to those two, two great products there. All right, so I think that's a good look at those two products. Donnie, what do you got to end us out? Well, uh, I am always wondering how much you love 250s, and you're always riding them. Though. What do you think about the, the new manufacturers coming in, Triumph and Ducati? Like, what is your view on more bikes coming into, into the sport? Okay, so that's a great question. And uh, my first thoughts initially, when I hear about these things over the years, you know, with Cannondale and different companies that have popped up, I'm kind of like, I don't even care until it comes up. But now these two, there's a couple of, first of all, the Triumphs, and even just today, we saw more in-depth pictures. This thing looks legit, legit. Like, uh, right now, it's looking like the thing's going to weigh four to five pounds less than a Yamaha 250F. So right there, and they, they're in, that's come out, they're saying 229, uh, so it's going to put it lighter than a current Yamaha 250F, which is kind of the benchmark in that class as far as performance. It's not the lightest bike, but performance-wise, it is. So I'm guessing that's what they're measuring. It's got KYB suspension, but yet kind of looks very Euro. In its design, the engine looks very Austrian, and then the frame looks more in between a Japanese, you know, aluminum frame and what you would expect from the Austrian bike. So I'm very excited about this Triumph. I think it looks really cool. As far as the the Ducati, somebody asked me about it, and I was like, they were asking about, I don't know if it was you, about how if it was to be a high-end. I thought that, I personally think that they're coming, I heard some stuff. Yeah that they're upset that KTM went into MotoGP. Yeah. <laughs> and this is why they're coming to this world. And I think they're gonna make like a, like a high-end bike. That's my personal opinion. And, and, and that's, I, would, I would assume that that's probably the direction they're gonna go. And they're seeing that the market, especially in the 450 class with these works editions, and if they can make three to 500 or whatever they have to have to sell the bikes in the States and make them as race editions, and maybe they're 14 to $15,000, and there's a market for it, maybe that's what they go after. And it's a high-end works edition. They're, they're, I'm guessing Ducati's only gonna make a works edition. Yeah, so we'll see. I don't think that they end up making a basic edition. They're gonna make a works edition. One of the pictures of uh, Caroli sitting on the bike, did you see that? Yeah, he's it. sitting on, and you can see some already at the. He had some like funky stuff going on at the uh, controls, like some data acquisition going on at the the clutch and front brake and stuff and throttle. So he, they just gave us enough of a teaser to know that they're not messing around. And he was sitting on a dirt bike, and it was definitely some different stuff going on. And they just teased us a little bit with that. So I think it's good. One of the things I will say is that I was talking to somebody about this yesterday is that it's not going to make 
the market any bigger, unfortunately. It's just going to make the aftermarket have to make more parts for different bikes, right? There's not going to be our market. Most of us accept that we're not going to have a whole bunch more new dirt bikers coming in, you know, with urban sprawl and so forth. There's less people riding dirt bikes. So it's just going to mean that the pie is going to get smaller for everyone. So what do I worry about is a company like Suzuki or somebody who is a little bit behind, are they just going to fall all the way off and back? So yeah. that's one downside. I think that the potential number of bikes you can sell is still going to be whatever it is. And I don't think we're going to see a great influx there. I think Ducati and, and Triumph are two totally different things in that I think Ducati, honestly, could be selling bikes to whoever their already Ducati owners are. And those guys will just put them in the corner. I mean, those <laughs> literally are those kinds of guys. That, that, and that, that could be. There's a guy that wants that Ducati street race bike that he has, that he rides what once a month, if that right, and polishes a thing, and he's going to want to have a Ducati 450 sitting in his, in his shop. So yeah. that could be a good thought. So I'm excited about it, and I'm excited that there's way more gas engine bikes coming in. So that's cool. We've been hearing buzz. We'll talk later in other shows about the other uh, conspiracies. But for right now, we'll stick to uh, the, these. It's great that we're seeing good. There's a lot of good companies who are spending money on gas engines and coming into this. So I think that's the biggest news and takeaway for me is that these new companies are coming in like that. All right, Donnie, I think that's a wrap. Was that kind of fun? Yeah, I liked it. It was a, it was a, a, a nice and quick show, too. I kind of <laughs> right. like that. Too. So I don't know how, I think the longest show, I don't want to do more than 45 minutes an hour. I don't think we'll ever do longer than that. And hopefully we'll keep them under 45 minutes. Maybe if we do them shorter, we can do them more often. I just want to thank all the other good people I work with. Donnie's great. I, I really appreciate we have this opportunity to come here, work, work out of here and do this. And then I work with some great companies. We're going to list those off for you right now. And hopefully we'll see you soon. Dunlop Motorcycle Tires, the best. And we love all of them, but we mainly run the MX-14 at the motocross tracks and MX-34. And then on the trails, we like the new TL01. That trials tire is amazing on the trails. Wisco pistons, we got the, the our two-stroke pistons. They're just incredible. We have them in all of our bikes that we rebuild right there. FMF's the number one name in exhaust. What else needs to be said? We also enjoy the drop every month from FMF. Decal Works makes custom graphics for all of our builds, and those are really impressive and they match incredibly. ProX. It's a company that specializes in making high quality parts from Japan and many, many of the same suppliers that you see that the Japanese bikes run. So it's great to have that OEM quality right from ProX. Recluse, known for auto clutches, we use the torque drive clutches a lot and just incredible look and feel for us. ODI bars and grips, lock-on grips. It took me a while to get on the wagon and once the KTM started all coming with those and I used them more, I realized how much easier it was and it's a no-brainer. The Emig 2.0s are awesome. Motion Pro has a huge selection of specialty tools. Works Connection, it's the standard for the Elite Perch on all the bikes that still run a cable clutch. Uni Filters, Klotz R50 is in all of our two-strokes. Kometic Gaskets, MX Plastics, when we need to change out the plastics on these uh, rebuild bikes, and JE Pistons. Cardo Systems is what we use for our in-helmet communications. It's a game changer on the trail riding. Onyx Off-Roads, how we map those trail rides. And whenever you go shopping, remember to use that Rocky Mountain link, and you can click on it from our site or our link tree. And again, our link tree has all of our links. If you email us, we'll send you those links and our Google Drive, which you can get off of our site at dirtbiketv1.com, or when you email us, I'll be glad to send you a link to it. Those will have plenty of answers and links to past videos that will help you out with your tech questions. Thanks for watching and listening. 
Like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff.